Years ago, there was a comedian by the name of Will Rogers. Some of you may recognize the name Will Rogers. Uh, He was invited one time to go and meet the President of the United States. At the time, the President was President Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge. President Coolidge had a nickname that some people used behind the scenes, and it was Silent Cal. You couldn't get the man to laugh or anything. He was stoic. He was, he was, as a general rule, very, very structured in everything that he did. So Will Rogers had this friend who found out he was going to go meet the president, and this friend said, I bet you money that you can't get Calvin Coolidge to laugh. Well, Will Rogers said, I bet you that I will get him to laugh in 20 seconds. He said, all right, bet's on. So Mr. Rogers goes and he meets the president. The man introducing them says, Mr. Will Rogers, this is President Calvin Coolidge. Will Rogers stuck out his hand and he leaned in close and something about the way he said it. It was something about the way he said it. But he said, ah, uh, excuse me, sir. What would you say your name was? Or what was your name again? Something like that. But anyway, it made Calvin Coolidge laugh. And just like that, the man, Mr. Rogers, had won his bet. But also, just like that, he and President Coolidge were no longer strangers. They knew each other. Today we get to a portion of our, of our study of the book of Ephesians where we see that we are not, as believers, as Christians, we are not strangers with God. We are not strangers with God. So we're going to jump right in here with Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. We're going to read 19 through 22 together, okay? So join with me there in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And I hear some people reading out loud. Let's all do that, okay? Come on. Let's go. Starting in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you, and in these moments, we ask that you help us to understand your word. Father, we want to understand it in the context of of all of your word, but then, Father, in the context of what we're studying here in Ephesians, but, Father, deeper than that, what good is your word if we don't apply it to our lives? Father, your word is your word. Now, Father, may we take it, understand what it means, and apply it to our lives. Father, may you be preeminent in this place today. May the dreariness of the outside not lull us to sleep. Father, may the distractions we brought into the room be discarded from our minds. Father, something far greater in importance is at our fingertips. So, Father, I pray that in these moments we will focus on your word and your word alone. Do what you want in our lives. We love you, Father, but only because you first loved us. Thank you for that love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, we were in uh, in verses 18 and 19 back several, several weeks ago. And in verses 18 and 19, we find a prayer that Paul gives, and it says this. Paul's prayers that the Christians would have their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, enlightened. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, 
and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Now that's not the end of chapter 1. Now we're at the end of chapter 2, and in a lot of ways we see this this prayer fleshed out. We understand what Paul's praying here in Ephesians chapter 1 by the metaphors that he's going to give us at the end of chapter 2. Chapter 1, Paul is praying for the believers to know and understand the riches that they have in Christ. And here in chapter 2, Paul is showing the believers those benefits that come with the relationship that they have with God. Now, there's three metaphors in our verses today that we're going to talk through, okay? There is the metaphor of a kingdom, there is the family, and then there is the metaphor of a building, all right? So let's jump right in here. First of all, the metaphor of a kingdom. This is Paul communicating what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, and he, he likens it to a kingdom. Verse 19, the beginning says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Right? You were a stranger and an alien, Paul says, but you aren't any longer now. You are a fellow citizen. Now, we all know what a stranger is. It's somebody that we don't know. Right? A stranger is somebody that we don't know. In fact, if a person walks by you in Walmart right, and you've never seen them before, then what are they? A stranger. They are a stranger to you. They're not a stranger to somebody else because that other person knows them, but they're a stranger to you. A stranger is somebody that you don't have a relationship with previously. Something has got to happen to bring you together into a relationship to where you are no longer strangers. With Will Rogers and President Coolidge, they had the opportunity to meet and they laughed together. Something happened to bring them together in their relationship with each other. Same thing with a Christian. Something has got to happen to bring us from being a stranger with God to being in a relationship with God. And we know that that something is Jesus. He is what brings us together. An alien is a person who is in a country that is not their own. You can be in this country right now, but you are an alien in this country because you belong to another country. And in this context of of where we're at in Ephesians chapter 2, before we were saved, we were an alien from God. We were alienated from Him. We didn't belong to His kingdom. Paul's telling the believer here, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You remember what a saint was? We talked about that at the beginning of of chapter 1. A saint is not necessarily an old person who's really, really nice, okay? That's a lot of times what we think about. That's not necessarily what it is. A saint is a person who has a relationship with God so that when God looks on that person, God doesn't see their sin. He sees the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus that's been added to their account. So he looks at them, and he declares them a saint. That's a saint. A saint is anyone who's a Christian, A saint is a person who has a relationship with God. The opposite of a stranger and the opposite of an alien is a citizen of the kingdom of God. A stranger and an alien doesn't belong. A citizen belongs. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you look like. If you are a citizen of that country, then you belong We just came off a passage in in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, that showed us last week, we talked about this, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your race is, God loves you and he welcomes you into his family. 
Christians, we have a citizenship with God. It's a citizenship that's not a part of this world. In fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul's speaking. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We may be citizens of the United States, and maybe we have a dual citizenship. We're a, we're a citizen of the United States and a citizen of another country, but Christians are ultimately a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we get to each one of these metaphors, I want to give you just a couple of very practical points to go with them, okay? And I want to encourage you to write these things down. So first of all, we're talking about this metaphor of a kingdom, and the first application point with this is that there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. You may feel second-rate on this earth. You may not have as much money as another person has. You may not have the political prestige or power that another person has, but you are not ever, ever second-rate in God's kingdom. There are no second-rate citizens, second-class citizens in God's kingdom. But then secondly, don't hold on to your earthly citizenship so tightly that you forget about your heavenly citizen, citizenship. Paul says there in verse 19, he says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. That means that the moment you become a Christian, you are not primarily from North Carolina anymore. All right? The moment you become a Christian, you are not primarily from the United States anymore. The moment you become a Christian, you are not primarily from Winston-Salem anymore. You are now primarily a new citizen and a member of a new race and a new kingdom. You are a part of the kingdom of God. Primarily, that is your citizenship. We were made for another world, not for this world. You know, sometimes I fear we, we hold on to our earthly kingdom so tightly that we miss out on the blessings of the new kingdom that we're a part of. What's happening on November the 3rd? Voting, election. How many of you hear about something about election every single day right now? Raise your hand. I'm hearing something about the election right now. You know, it would be really, really easy for us to get so caught up in this earthly citizenship that we completely forget our heavenly citizenship. Next week when we're together, we're going to talk more about this. And we're going to talk about what did Jesus, what was he talking about in the Lord's Prayer when he said, um, he said, your will be done. Um, thy, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to talk about that next week, okay? So come back. Make sure you're here for that. It's going to be a special time together. But folks, we were made for a citizenship that is eternal. That's what Paul starts off by talking about here. Second metaphor that he has is that of a family. A family. We are members of the household of God, he says there in, in verse 19. And this metaphor kind of digs a little bit deeper for the believer. It's helping us understand more about our new relationship with God. A Christian is a member of the household of God. Do you hear me there? A Christian is a member of the household of God. And folks, that is nothing short of incredible to think that God welcomes us in his family the way that he does. Now, if you're a member of a household here on this earth, you are united by blood. Um, most of the time, the people who live inside a house together are united. We'll say they're united by marriage or they're united by blood. In the household of God, we are united by blood. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what unites us. His death on the cross ushered in God's plan for the redemption of anyone who would call on the name of Jesus for salvation. 
The uniting factor, excuse me, the uniting factor for this household is that we are all purified by the blood of Jesus. First John chapter 1 verse 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Right? Get that? We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship. We are, we are all a part of the same household as other Christians and with God himself through the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin. Now, in a normal family that's here on this earth, in order to be a part of the family, you've got to either be born into the family or you've got to be adopted into the family. We see from Scripture that, that, that God uses both. Uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. But then we also see over and over again throughout Scripture that we are adopted into God's family. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 1. We are adopted into the household of faith. Right? It's not one or the other. The way that God designed it is both the rebirth and it's the adoption. Now here's a couple of practical points under this idea of the family, okay? First of all, don't let your earthly understanding of a family cloud your opinion of your heavenly family. Some of you have no concept of what a healthy family is truly supposed to look like because you didn't see it modeled for yourself. You've seen other families that look like they're the perfect family, but, but you don't know what that looks like. Or maybe you feel like a complete failure as a parent or a grandparent right now. I am messing up my kids big time. I feel like that all the time. This earth is in a state of brokenness and fragility. And that's often played out the most in the family unit. Sin completely ruined the perfect family, and there are no perfect families this side of heaven. But when you enter into the heavenly realm, and when you enter into the spiritual sphere of family, God's household is designed to be different. All of a sudden, when you get to God's household, the marking characteristics of his family are built on grace. Now, you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. You're not a perfect son or daughter to God. But here on this earth, not being perfect often translates into anger, and it translates into a lack of trust. But in God's family, the lack of perfection results in grace upon grace that is never-ending. We're not always going to get it right. But God's character is such that he is not a vengeful dad waiting to take out his frustration on his children. God's character is that of an ever-loving, very patient Abba, Father, who, yes, he disciplines us when we need it, but who will never, ever discard us. I think a lot of times we view God's family the way that we view our families. I, I view his fathership in light of my fatherhood. I, I think that he responds to me the way that I respond to my kids, and that's simply not true. As God's child, I'm in a completely different position than I would be as an earthly child. And listen, I want to challenge you. No matter your background, no matter what kind of family you come from, whether it was a really good family or really, really bad family, I want to challenge you to think, am I viewing my earthly family, excuse me, my heavenly family through the lens of my earthly family? If that's you, then, then y'all understand here, we're not even on the same wavelength here. But then secondly, in this practical point with the family, I would say this. In every family, different members take on specific roles. What is your role in God's family? 
When I was growing up, I had a list of chores, and sometimes that chore would be go out and milk the cow and gather the chickens, the, the eggs from the chickens, feed the chickens, all of that. Sometimes it would be household chores, but regardless, every single day, maybe it wasn't every day, but it felt like most days, every day, I had chores to do. And that's how a family is supposed to operate. We, we gather together, we take on different roles to make sure that the household in general is, is taken care of well. It's no different with the family of God. Just because you're the child of the God of the universe doesn't mean that you can just sit back and take it easy and live off the wealth of the family. There are assignments that God gives to all of us. Chores, if you will, that God gives to all of us. Now we think about chores sometimes when we roll our eyes thinking, man, I hate the idea of a chore. And you know what? Sometimes we may not like what God gives us to do. But we have the opportunity to serve the family as a whole and to serve God as a part of his family. And I would say that if you're not serving God in some way, then you're just bumming off the rest of the family. Think about your extended family for a minute. How many of you have a bum in your family? If you can't think of one right now, you may be that person. The bum is that person that, you know, they just sit back and they sit in the comfort of the family as a whole. You know what? Y'all take care of everything. I got this. I'm going to hold this chair down. We can think of people in our families like that. And I would say that if that's you when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the spiritual family, then get off your bum and get moving. Obeying God with what he's got for you to do. Get to work where God is working around you. You see him working in an area, then join him where he's working. If you don't know how to do that, and let me tell you, um, we have pastors here in our church. We're going to find in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that God has given pastors the role of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That means that we are here to come alongside you to help you understand how you fit into God's family. And if you think, you know what, I just don't know where I fit, then come talk to one of us because we'd love to walk with you through that. There's no shame in doing so whatsoever. There's no shame in that. You're just joining God where he's working. All right, let's move on to the third metaphor, and that is the, the metaphor of a building. Verse 20, here's what it says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, I'm the kind of guy who really enjoys construction. In fact, next to my house and across the street from my house, there's new houses being built. And, and we've been able to watch this process from the very beginning when they tore the trees down. I wasn't real fond of the trees coming down because we enjoyed our woods. But we got to see this process of the ground being prepared and then the foundation being laid and then the walls coming up, the roof being put on. It's a fun process to watch. And Paul likens Christianity to the building of a building. When Paul talks about our salvation, he uses this metaphor to help us understand how, how, our, how our salvation is built and how God works. As a Christian, you are a part of the building that's being built by God. And it all starts with a foundation. Because if you don't start there, then you're in trouble, right? Every single building has a foundation. The one that Paul's talking about here, the church, is laid by the apostles and prophets. The foundation is not the apostles and prophets themselves, it's laid by them. These are people who authoritatively spoke the word of God and they proclaimed the gospel, and the gospel itself is the foundation. 
These apostles and prophets didn't have God's word like we do today to read. But God was so at work within them that they were able to clearly and accurately communicate the salvation that is found in Jesus. But then you move from the foundation up to the cornerstone. It's a part of the foundation. That cornerstone is the most important aspect of the whole building. We sang about the cornerstone earlier. The cornerstone is Jesus. That cornerstone has got to be strong enough to support the weight of the building. It's also got to be the perfect size and shape because the whole rest of the building is going to conform to the size and shape of that cornerstone. And then from there, the whole structure begins to be put together. The, the, the stone is, is laid to, to make up the walls. And guess what, Christian? That's you. You're the stone that Paul's talking about here. And all together, those stones make up the church. In the middle of verse 21 there, there's the word grows. That's an action word that, that really means continues to grow. So as, as people come to know Jesus as their Savior, they're added to the building, and the building, the church, continues to grow. Verse 22 says that through Jesus, we are all being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the presence of God rested in the temple of God. In the New Testament, all of that changes up. The Holy Spirit lives in, he indwells the believer, and collectively, because we are all joined together as believers, he lives in the church as a whole. He lives in all of us as, as believers. All right, now once again, I got a couple practical points for us to talk through here, okay? And first of all, we see this. A Christian is simultaneously vital, yet inconsequential in God's building. Let me explain this, okay, because this could be really confusing. I want to tell you that you are vital because God loves you. In fact, he loved you enough to send Jesus, his son, to die in your place. You are vital because God has chosen to save you. He's offered freely salvation to anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. You are vital because you make up the church. You make up the building that God is building. But at the same time, we are not the foundation. We are not the cornerstone. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in ourselves that we think that we are more important than we really are, but yet our role as a stone is simply to be faithful to carry out our job. We're not supposed to come out of that wall and down to the foundation. All right, foundation, here's what you should look like, and cornerstone, here's what you should be doing. That's not our role at all. Our role is to just simply be faithful as a part of God's building. You get that? So don't try to be something that you're not. Just be faithful to be a stone in God's building. But then secondly, never forget that you're a part of something that's a whole lot bigger than just you. You're a part of something that's a whole lot bigger than just you. Jesus is working to build his church. And man, what a joy it is to be a part of what he's doing. To be a part of other believers where we see, look at what he's doing around us. The problem is that oftentimes we try to lone ranger it, right? Go off on our own. Forget our role is simply to be faithful, to carry out our end of the responsibility, and we try to take on responsibilities that are not our own. But when we lone ranger Christianity, we miss out on part of God's design for us, and that is to be joined together with a bunch of other Christians, enjoying God and watching him work in lives around us. Now, personally, this is me speaking for Kivet. I'm great to simply be a stone in God's building. 
Because as I'm a stone in God's building, I get to look around and see the other stones that are added to the building. And I get to see God's, God's, God at work, Jesus building his church. The last thing I want to do is try to be off by myself somewhere doing my own thing and completely miss out on the blessing of seeing God at work. So don't forget that you are a part of something that's much bigger than just you. So that's the three metaphors that Paul uses to describe our state of salvation. Now, as I was thinking a couple of weeks ago about this passage, I made a note of these metaphors, and, and I was just kind of thinking through them, and, and they reminded me of something. And I want, to, I want to give you this reminder right now as we get ready to close. The fact that you are a citizen of heaven, the fact that you are a child of the Most High Creator, that you are a stone in the, in the building Simple of the living God says that you've got unrestricted access to God. The fact that you are a citizen who is not ignored by a good king, because think about it, if you're a citizen on this earth, what chance do you have of having a close relationship and unrestricted access to the king or the president? Right? It's, it's virtually none, right? Oh, but wait. In this kingdom. In God's kingdom, we know that God is a good king who welcomes us in. All right, think about the, the idea of a child here for just a moment, because we had that metaphor of the family. A child is not cast off by a good father, and we know that God is a good father who welcomes us in. A stone in God's building houses the very presence of God. That means that you are a part of the very presence of God, not that you are God in any way, shape, or form. But the Spirit lives inside of you, and you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. You know, there's a very strong chance that I will never have unrestricted access to the President of the United States, or that I'll never have a perfect dad, or be the perfect dad. But you know what? I, um, I can do one better. I've got unrestricted access to the God of the universe, who is that perfect king, and who is that perfect dad and who chooses to indwell me as a believer. I've got unrestricted access to God. And on this earth, I'm only going to find so much purpose for my life. But as a family, part of the family of God, part of the kingdom of God, as a stone in God's church, my purpose is to house the very presence of God and to be a part of what he's doing. Christian, listen, you have unrestricted access to God. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. You've got unrestricted access to God. So let me just ask you, what's life handing you right now? Is it depression? Anxiety? Maybe life is all good for you right now. Maybe there's heartache. Maybe there's death close by in your family. Maybe there's the concern for a job loss. What is life handing you right now? Let's go a little deeper. How many of you feel like there's nobody else that you can truly be honest with about what's going on in your life? Maybe even your spouse feels a little bit cut off. You don't feel like you can get super deep with them. You have a God that you can go to with unrestricted access. Say, God, here I am. I need you. Y'all go back and read this passage again. Remind yourself 
of those three metaphors. The kingdom, the family, and the building. And be reminded that God is waiting with open arms to welcome you in. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, man, it's, it's great to be able to study your word. And Lord, to, to work through a book like Ephesians where we understand who you have designed us to be and how we are to carry out our roles in your kingdom. Father, I pray that, that we will be reminded over and over and over again that we have unrestricted access to the God of the universe, the creator of all things. Father, thank you for that. We love you, Father. Thank you for our time here in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.